grab our Bibles and let's open to Matthew, uh, Matthew 6. What is the fear of the Lord? So we tried to answer last week, or at least start answering. The reason we wanted to answer that question, what is the fear of the Lord, was, was threefold. One, the Bible says it's a very important thing. The fear of the Lord is repeated over uh, 100 times uh, and, and listed in a very important way. It's, a, it's especially important in our discussion about being delivered from evil because uh, it pleases the Lord, uh, which we as soldiers are supposed to do. If you want to fight well, you got to please uh, the Lord. Uh, and, and so it, fearing the Lord pleases him. Uh, and then lastly, number three, the reason we want to talk about what the fear of the Lord is, no one knows what it is, or, or, at, or at least people have a hard time defining it, defining it in a, in, in a, biblical, a, a biblical way. Normally just, again, we define it as, well, the fear of the Lord, well, it, it's, not, it's not being uh, afraid, and so we'll get into definitions like, like it's, it's reverence, but we don't, we don't, a lot of times we don't understand why uh, we do that, so we want to just make sure that we've got a good biblical understanding of what the fear of the Lord is, using the Bible to shape uh, our, our definition. So that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're asking, what does it mean uh, to fear the Lord? And uh, what we've seen is that we've got both a, as we work through these texts, we're going to get both an internal and an external picture of, of what it means to fear the Lord. So uh, eventually we'll take those two things together. What does the fear of the Lord look like in our heads uh, and in our hearts? And what, does the, what will the fear of the Lord look like in our lives? The, the Bible will say, those who fear me do this. The fear of the Lord is seen in this. Or this person is doing this because they have the fear of the Lord. Or this person obviously doesn't fear the Lord because they're doing this. We'll take all of those things. You get a, a really good, thick biblical definition of what it means to fear the Lord. And so let, let's hop back into the Lord's Prayer. Let's remind ourselves uh, what text it is that, that we're mining as we're sort of filling out the Lord's Prayer with as much biblical data as we can give it. We, we're giving as much depth to Christ's prayer uh, as we can, making sure we understand all that He is saying in this brief prayer that takes just, you know, less than seven seconds to pray, a model prayer that in seven seconds encompasses so much rich uh, biblical truth. So let's stand in the honor of reading God's Word as we ask for His Word to continue to shape our understanding of this most important of prayers, especially um, as we think about spiritual warfare, that God would help us understand why of all things Jesus told us to ask to be delivered from evil. So Jesus says, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. All right, to be good soldiers, we saw last week, and we've seen for the last few weeks, to be good soldiers, to fight spiritual warfare well, the struggles that Satan is going to bring against us, the evil that Christ is telling us we've got to be delivered from. Uh, in order to do that well, in order to fight well, we must fight in a way that pleases our enlister. And one thing that pleases our God is when we fear Him. 
So what we were doing is we were going through this list of what, so if we've got to please the Lord, we saw what doesn't please the Lord, you know, being tangled up in the things of this world. We saw that being a, being a man pleaser, those are things that don't please the Lord. Well, then we started to look at what does please the Lord. Right off the bat, we saw the fear of the Lord really pleases him. And immediately we went, okay, that's good. It really pleases him, but we really don't understand what that means a lot of times. We can't give ourselves a good definition of the fear of the Lord. It's just kind of ambiguous. Uh, and so let's go back and see why we're looking at this. We're, we began in Psalm 147, verse 11. This, is, this is, was, our, was our launching point. Psalm 147, verse 11, which says this, The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Okay, so the, the one who you want to fight, well, you've got to please your enlister. Here it says, the Lord takes pleasure. What pleases the Lord? The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. So if we want to fight well, we have to know what it means to please the Lord. And so last week, we started looking at the various images uh, that are associated with it, passages that tell us about the fear of the Lord in a way that helps us understand what God means when He talks about the fear of Him. What does it mean for us to fear Him? And we began by seeing that the fear of the Lord is to be in awe of the Lord. To be in awe of God is to fear the Lord. To be in awe of God is to fear the Lord. Is to be shaken by His glory. To see God as as the most glorious thing. It, it, It might help us to remember that the word for glory in the Hebrew is a word that means something is weighty, something is heavy. That's the word, the, the word glory, that kavod is, is a heavy thing. There's a heaviness to God. God's glory is a heaviness. There's something weighty uh, about God, a gravitas, if you will. Often, uh, we saw as we were going through that, people who fear the Lord and awe in Him, we saw phrases where the people stand in awe of God. So he says, you, know, you fear the Lord, stand in awe of the Lord your God. So, so to be in awe of the Lord, if we're understanding what it means to be in awe in Him, it is to see Him in this glorious weightiness of who He is and to almost be frozen with the incomprehensible nature of that sight. I have seen God and I'm standing in awe of Him to be sort of crushed and movable by the weight of something so glorious when we see God. So to be in awe of God is to fear the Lord, to be amazed by His glory, to be captivated by His glory. Uh, So that's the first thing that we saw. Now, now we're going to add to that. The fear of the Lord is also associated often in these verses. We're going to see with another insight. And, and we're, as we do this, we're going to see these. None of these insights are going to be totally different from the other. In fact, they're going to kind of stack on top of each other like Russian nesting dolls to help give us like a really full, uh, a full picture. Uh, so I think it's really helpful because what we're going to do is we look at these. It's just going to fill out this picture even more. Rather than each time the fear of the Lord is used, it's used in a totally different way and we're trying to figure out how to piece them all together. Each of these are just kind of kind of hone the edges of the picture of what it means to fear God, sort of fill out what it means to be in, in awe uh, of Him. So the fear of the Lord, we saw that to be in awe of God is to fear the Lord. Uh, the next thing that we'll see is the fear of the Lord is to realize uh, the Godness of God, the Godness of God, that there is no one like Him. It is to recognize, uh, as we sang this morning, the holiness of God, the otherness, that God is 
holy. He is other. He's set apart. He's different. There's no one like him. That's why I said the God is so. It's just to recognize that we use the word God a lot, but then you finally recognize, oh, God is God. Uh, he, is, he is God. And that, that's a pretty big, and, and like we said with the glory, it's a very weighty thing. So we're going to see when talking about the fear of the Lord, we're going to get that picture as well. The fear of the Lord is recognizing He is God. He is unlike anything or anyone else. And, and you can see how that would fit with the idea of, of being in awe with Him. You, you stand amazed. You stand in awe because you're seeing something like that you've never seen before. You've never seen anything like it. That's why you stand in awe. You don't, you, know, you, don't, you don't stand in awe of something you see all the time, right? No one steps outside and goes, stop. You know, what is it? A car. You know, and they're like, I, we see cars all the time. Like, if someone stopped and stood in awe of a vehicle, unless it was the yellow Lamborghini that I saw in Tulsa the other day, and then I did stop, and I took a picture, and they're like, hey, buddy, this is the highway. Keep moving. Uh, and so, I mean, that's a, so it's amazing things like that. But normally, you don't stop. But, but when you see something different, when you see God and you stand in, in awe, it's to be amazed by the Godism. You, you, you recognize that, that sheer weight, that glory of, of who he is, that there's no one like him, that he is very much God and I am very much not, right? So it's to recognize the Godness of God, the, the holiness of God. We'll see this, for example, in Job 37. Job 37, we see that the fear of the Lord recognizes the holiness, the otherness of God, the, the Godness of God. Go down in uh, chapter 37 of Job to verse 22. We'll read verses 22 through 24. Out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. There's that word fear, again, used here, again, in a way that is awe-inspiring. God uh, clothed in fearsome majesty. If you wanted to keep the fear words together, uh, if you wanted to change the fear of the Lord to the awe of the Lord, that'd be fine with me. Uh, But the the idea of of the the awesome majesty, here's that, that fearful word, the almighty the, the powerful one. We cannot find him. He is great in power, justice, and abundant righteousness. He will not violate. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise in their own conceit. So we have God. God shows up in splendor. Now, the word splendor isn't actually in the text. It's just the word gold. Uh, out of the north, gold comes. But the idea of splendor is, is certainly, it's a, it's, a, it's a fine addition. Something precious is coming from the north. A, a, a golden thing. And so a golden, like golden splendor, something magnificent comes from the gold comes from the north. Something unusual. And, and what is it that's coming? What is this gold that comes from north? Out of the north, gold. And, and what is this? He said, it is God who is wearing a fearsome majesty, an awesome majesty's clothed in it god has this majesty that invokes fear again this is not the type of fear that is a cowering kind but one of amazement and what is it that is so majestic it's because there is no one there's no one like the almighty he says we have no power over him we we don't even have the power to find him Right? The Almighty, we, can't even, we can't even find him. There's no one like God. There's no substitute. And so it talks about how it's, it's both his power and his justice and his righteousness that caused the people to fear him. So here in, in this passage, we have that, that word for fear repeated twice. Fearing the Lord because of his majesty 
fearing the Lord because of his, his otherness. There's no one like him in power and justice and abundant righteousness. So when you realize the power of God, when you realize his, his strength, and notice it's his strength both physically and morally, right? It's both his physical and moral strength. He has this power, but also his justice and righteousness that he will not violate. Justice and righteousness that people have violated against us. Justice and righteousness that we've sometimes violated ourselves. But God will not do those things. When you realize, in other words, when you realize who God is on both the outside and inside, what you do is you fear him. You fear him. Now, again, it doesn't make you afraid of him. It makes you amazed by him. It makes him what? It makes him the almighty. He is gold. He is majesty. There's no one. We can't find any. We cannot find him. There's no one else like him. God, the almighty. Psalm 47 says this. Psalm 47, one and two. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Here here again is is another one of those passages uh, that we see the fear of the Lord, but in a way that that doesn't make sense if if the fear of the Lord just simply means being afraid of him, being terrified by him. Because the psalm begins saying, hey, it begins with the shout to God. He says, shout to the Lord uh, and bring these loud songs of joy. And why do they bring loud songs of joy? They bring songs of joy because God is to be feared. So sing with loud joy because you should fear God. So, so the people are commanded to rejoice because God is meant to be feared. So here we see joy and fear are tied together. So rather than, again, this, you know, Again, it wouldn't make sense if it was, hey, sing for joy. Why? Because you should be terrified. Uh, I am so happy that I am terrified. Uh, This is saying, hey, shout for joy because your God is amazing. Your God is awesome. He 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 is gold. He is majesty. He is the almighty. They're rejoicing uh, because uh, look at look at what's going on. Let the, let the context fill out what's going on here. The Lord should be feared. Why? What does he say? Because God is the king over everyone. The Lord most high is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. God, what makes God so awesome? What makes him so uh, majestic, so glorious is his holiness. There is no one like him. He is king over everyone. He is the most high, and because he is the most high, he is to be feared. He is this great king. So rejoice because your God is awesome, amazing, fearful, because he's above all the kings of the earth. Now, again, the fact that he's king over everything, there's nothing, there's nothing inherently terrifying about that fact. In fact, in verse 1, we see this recognizing God is king over all the earth should cause you to be the exact opposite of terrified. It should cause you to be joyous. So where does the fear of the Lord come from? Again, it's because there's no one like God. He is the king over all the earth, above every ruler. So what will we eventually say? He is the king of kings. 
That's, that's what makes God amazing. That's what makes him awesome. That's what gives us the awe, the fear of the Lord is to recognize there's no one like him. It's that holiness again, that otherness. God is God. All the kings of the world, as powerful as they are, even those who want to be called God. And at this time, there were several uh, that wanted to be called uh, God. He said, there's, there's no one like him. No king in all the earth like our God. He is the king over all of the earth. He is the king of kings, but there's more. If we go back and look at Exodus chapter 15 again, Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, which we've looked at a couple times, it says, we're going to expand this. Not only is, the, is he the king of kings, we're going to expand it. Uh, Exodus 15, 11, who is like you, O Lord? And we'll see how the fear of God plays into it. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, Awesome, there's that word for fear again. Awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. And so he says, God, your deeds are, uh, are amazing. And there's no one else like you. Not, even, not only among people, there's no one else like you among the other gods. Exodus 15, he says, hey, who, who among the Like there are no other gods who are majestic in holiness. There are no other gods who are awesome in their glorious deeds, who do wonders. There's no one like God. It is his otherness. It is his, his holiness. So not only, not only is God the king of kings, and that's what gives us the fear of the Lord. You get the fear of the Lord when you recognize God is the king of kings, that holiness. There's no king like him. He's king over all kings. But the, th- the, the fear of the Lord also causes you to recognize that God is God of gods. There's, there's no God like him. His, his majesty is found in his holiness. Verse 11, what does it say? He is majestic in what? In holiness. Majestic in his otherness. Remember that word holy means that something is set apart, that it's distinct. God's majesty is, like there, is that there is no one else like him. Which is exactly what we saw in Job 37, right? That God was what? God is clothed in fearful awe-inspiring majesty. He's clothed in it because there's nothing and no one like him. So he clothes himself in majesty because there's no one else like God. Among men, no one else like him. Even among the gods, there's no one like Yahweh. There's no one like our God. No one like the Lord. There's no one with his holiness or his fearsome, his awesome deeds to see the holiness of of the Lord is to fear the Lord. What is it to fear the Lord? To fear the, to fear the Lord is to see the holiness of the Lord, the godness of God. He is God and no one else is. King of kings, Lord of lords, God of gods. To recognize that is to fear the Lord. So you've got to be, you've got being in awe of God. You've got the holiness of God. So to, to be in awe of God's glory and holiness, if we're combining these things, we're filling it out, to be in awe of God's, to stand in awe, amazement of God's glory, his weightiness and his holiness. He is weighty and he is the only one weighty like that. He, is, he has gravitas, he has power and strength, and, he, and there's no one else that matches him. So you're in awe of God because he's got this glory and he singularly has that glory. There's no one else like God. But let's see if there's more tied to the idea of the fear of the Lord in terms of what our hearts should be having, what the, what the fear of the Lord looks like on, on, on our insides. 
and we're going to add one last, one last thing to this, which is to be, uh, to, to fear the Lord is to hope in him. What we would say is it is to put your faith in him. This is actually the verse that got us started, right? You might have noticed it in Psalm 147. But in Psalm 147.11, explains to us what the fear of the Lord is. And again, it's something that is, is a, very joy, a very joyous thing. Psalm 147.11, but, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, and then it's going to describe what it means to fear Him, in those who hope in His steadfast love. To fear God is to hope in His steadfast love. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, those who hope in His steadfast love. And we see the same thing, Psalm 33, you see the exact same thing, 33.18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. It's the same thing, Psalm 147.11, Psalm 33.18. Again, this is where uh, being afraid or, or just being terrified it doesn't, doesn't make sense because what is it to fear the Lord? It is to hope in his love. And that's, that's not exactly a frightening prospect. In fact, I, I would dare say it's probably the opposite of a frightening prospect, to hope in the fact that his love is steadfast. The fear of the Lord isn't, isn't a dread of God. It's actually a hope in him. And we actually saw this earlier in, in Exodus 15 when we saw that uh, how, how God is awesome and is awesome and, and fearsome in glorious deeds. Well, when you, when you go back to Exodus 14, Exodus 14 is going to talk about what the fear of God looks like and, and what is it going to look like? It's going to look like faith. So God's going to do these awesome and glorious deeds. He has these awesome deeds. Well, if we go back and see about these awesome deeds in Exodus 14, the chapter before, we're going to see how it's going to tie the fear of the Lord to our faith in Him, our hope in Him, because He does awesome deeds. Exodus 14, 31. It's right before we get to 15, and it talks about His fearsome deeds, His, his majestic holiness. We see in verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against Egypt. There's the Almighty, the powerful one, all those things that we saw. The Lord saw the great power, or Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. When the people fear the Lord, the result is they believe in him. Now, that word belief is the same word said of Abraham, that he believed God. And that when Romans retells that passage, it says that Abraham, Romans will say he had faith in God. So this word belief is then pulled by Paul to say, what is that belief? What is that believing? It is to have faith. To have faith in God is to fear him, to believe him, to hope in what he says, to hope in who he is is to fear him. We see fear and faith in Psalm 40 as well. Psalm 40, this great psalm that we sing, especially when we're going through difficult times. What does it say? He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. So I was unsteady. I was being pulled down, destruction. He put me up, gave me a solid foundation, put me on the cornerstone, right? He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see 
and fear. There's that word fear. The word awe. And put their trust in the Lord. So because God has done such amazing things for David, others are going to see these amazing things and are going to fear God, fear the Lord, and the result will be they put their trust in him. They trust him. They hope in him. They have faith in him. They will fear him, which will mean what? They will trust him. A great example of this is seen in the story of the centurion at the foot of the cross. Matthew 27, 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. Guess what the word there for awe is? Fear. Phobeo. Where we get the word phobia. They were filled with phobia. They had Christophobia. They were filled with awe and said, what? Truly this was the Son of God. Again, the word there, awe, is the word for fear. What, what, is, what is happening here? The centurion's fear of the Lord is seen in the centurion's belief, his faith in Christ. Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, you have to remember that that phrase isn't just sitting there at the end of Matthew. That phrase, this is the Son of God, is a phrase that has been throughout Matthew and the Gospels, an exclamation of faith. This isn't just him saying, oh, well, you know, he was the Son of God. Rats. We got that one wrong, Caesar. Maybe next time. No, it is is an exclamation of faith in what you have seen and in who Christ is. So, uh, Matthew 14, 33, those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. That, 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 That is then picked up at the very end of Matthew by the centurion. Truly, this was the Son of God. John 1, 49, Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Fear of is faith in. Okay? Fear of is faith in. In fact, in some passages, to be a believer, to be a Christian, is to be called a what? A God what? Fearer. John, uh, or sorry, not John. Jonah 1, 9. Jonah's talking. He said to them, so this isn't, this isn't just a New Testament uh, reality, Jonah 1, 9. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh. The God of heaven who made sea and dry land. In the, in the book of Acts, you've got the word being used to describe those who, who are not Jews by birth, but who have come to fear the Lord. For example, Cornelius is called a God-fearer. Signifying that someone who has taken their faith, their fear, from their original gods and recognized who the real God of gods is. And they put their fear in now the Lord. They are Lord fearers. They are God fearers. They're no longer fearing uh, their pagan gods. They are fearing the Lord. Again, fear of is faith in, to, to place your faith in God's steadfast love is to fear the Lord. To place your faith in God is to live in fear of God, is the fear of the Lord. 
So what is the fear of the Lord? We'll actually work out a more full definition uh, as we'll build on this because we've still got, uh, like I said, we've got 100 verses. Not that we're going to go through 100. We're only going to go through like 75. Uh, but so, I mean, I feel like I'm cheating you a little bit. It'd be like a C. Would not be okay with a C, but we're gonna, some of them repeat the idea. So anyway, uh, but, but we're just looking at it internally. So here's the Lord just describing the fear of the Lord internally. Like, like, how should I be feeling? What does it look like in our heads and in our hearts to fear the Lord? I think we get, when you put all those verses together, you get a pretty consistent picture, a pretty full and consistent definition of, of what it means uh, to fear the Lord. It is to be in awe of God and his glory. It is to see God as God. There's no one like him, that he is holy. It is to believe in him, to put your faith in him. So to be in awe of God's glory and holiness and to put your faith in him is to fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It is to be in awe of his glory and his holiness and put your faith in him. That's what it means to fear the Lord, at least on the inside. We're going to see it's easy to say those things, but your lives are actually going to show whether or not you fear the Lord, that your actions will show whether or not your hearts really are in awe of God's glory and holiness. Whether you really do have your faith in him. Our lives are going to show that. Scripture is going to make uh, a, lot of, a lot of that, and we'll see those uh, uh, next week. And so what can we do with this? What can we do with this uh, call to fear the Lord? What are some things that, that we can do with this? Uh, just again, generally, if you want to fight against sin, just to, let's put this in the, the context of Matthew 6 and what we're wanting to do. If you're praying, deliver us from evil, and you're wanting to fight well in your spiritual warfare, it is absolutely essential that you fear the Lord. If you want to win, not the, again, not the war, you're going to win the war. That's not in doubt. But if you want to win the particular battles that you're in, so you don't deal with the consequences of your failures in this battle, in your failures that come when you say something you shouldn't say or do something that you shouldn't do, and all the consequences, that'll mean for your life and your children's life and your children's children. If you want to, if you want to make sure that you win every battle so that your life and their lives are not filled with the collateral damage and so that you are glorifying the Lord in everything that you do, you've got to fight well. And one thing you've got to do is you've got to please the Lord. That means you have to fear the Lord. So when we're going over these verses and we're looking at this, I, again, I don't want this to just be definition hunting. I don't want us to just be able to like, well, I now know what it means to fear the Lord. So if anybody ever asks me what it means to fear the Lord, I'll be able to say, it's to be in awe of his glory and holiness. You know, I don't just want that. We're like, oh, finally, I understand the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't just want you to understand the fear of the Lord, like definition-wise. I want you to understand the fear of the Lord. Understand the importance of it. For your own particular fights against sin. Fearing the Lord is going to be absolutely essential for you to win the battles that Satan brings your way. For you to fight well, you must fear the Lord. So, so take those things in and make sure that those, are, that those are true in your life. Now, last week we, uh, we talked about the, 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 to be in awe of God. So I'm not going to hit on that too much, but, but I told you to ask yourself, you know, are you in awe of God? Is God, does he have a glory that is a fearsome, awe-inspiring glory to you anymore? Do you stand in awe of God anymore? Or is he much like the cars that you see outside? Where he has become familiar to you. And God has lost a bit of his awe, a bit of his glory. He's not as weighty as he used to be. I mean, they think this is part of the childlike faith that we need to have. 
God still needs to be waiting. And we can, we can see how that's added this week, the holiness of God. We need to go back to the recognition that God is holy. He is, oh, there's no one like him. There needs to be a weight to God, a, a gravitas. So to, to treat the Lord uh, uh, as God, to, to fear the Lord, is to see him as, as holy. I mean, do you, treat, do you treat God as God anymore? Do you treat him as holy? I mean, I mean, I know there's a temptation to, there's a temptation on one side, a ditch on one side of the road to sort of treat God as if he's this, just this being up there, just sort of watching everything. We're almost afraid to even, to even look at it. Look, I know the error on that side. As if God doesn't really care about us. He just saves us and just sort of still, you know, he's like, don't look at me wrong, you know, or something like that. That's, that, I, don't, I don't, I understand that. But the other side is to, is to be, is to be too, to be too familiar with God, of letting God lose his godness, his holiness. If you're going to fear the Lord, then, then we must see God ever and always as the Almighty, as God. As the one who made, in the passage we looked at, the one who made heavens and earth, the one who made everything in them, the one who's controlling the wind and the rain that came through last night. The one who is controlling the hearts of kings and presidents, who's working all things according to his will and for his good purposes. We've got to continue to treat God like the one who is all those things. So if we want to fear the Lord Christian, you've got to ensure that God is God still in your eyes. That he is still holy, different. There's nothing like him. And that that still amazes you. That the more you learn about him, God doesn't become smaller, he becomes bigger. That's one thing, the more you learn, unlike everything else, the more you learn about it, the less scary it gets. And the more you understand, well, if you really understood, if you really understood how lightning worked, it would be less scary. And I'm like, if you really understood how lightning worked, it would be more scary. Uh, If you understood the one controlling all of that, you wouldn't be like, oh, that's not, you'd be like, oh. The more you learn about God, he doesn't become smaller, he becomes bigger. We've got to make sure that is true. Because if you're learning more about God and he's becoming more familiar rather than more holy, then you've got your learning messed up. Because to truly understand who God is, to grasp who he is, the more you know about God, the bigger he will be. The more God he will be. Those who fear the Lord not, don't just see God in his, his awesome sort of glory and his awesome holiness. There's no one like him. He is weighty. He has gravity. And there's no one else that has gravity like him. So he's holy. No one else like God. No one else weighty like him. Those who fear the Lord have their faith in God. Is your faith in God? Are you a God-fearer? Your hope in this world, your hope in the world to come, are those hopes rooted, fixed in the fact that God is God? Are they bound by what He has said? Is your hope in God alone? And again, that alone is very important. Because all of us in here would say that our hope is uh, in God, our faith is in God, but is your faith in God alone? I mean, how can, how can we ever call the nations to fear the Lord? Call the nations with their faith in Him, their hope in Him. If our own faith is sort of, um, you know, bifurcated. I mean, pagan, pagans are the ones that are supposed to be hedging their bets, right? Pagans are the ones that are supposed to have idols, uh, uh, altars to all of the gods, in, including God. 
as Christians, our faith, if we fear the Lord, our faith will be singular. Our faith, our hope will be in Him and in His steadfast love and in nothing else. But if you looked at your life, could you really say you're placing all your bets on that reality? Or are you saying, yes, God is safely, has steadfast love, but just in case. I'm going to make this choice for myself. I'm going to make this choice for my family. I'm going to make this, voice, uh, this choice for my future. Because if God isn't steadfast, then I'm really going to be in trouble. To fear God is to have faith in Him. To have faith, to hope in His steadfast love. To fear the Lord, you must be a God-fearer. And that means He must be where your faith and your hope lie. So church, let us fear the Lord. Let us be in awe of our God this week. Make sure this week that you are going out of your way to stand in awe of His glory. Let us see the otherness of God. Let us see His holiness, His godness, and let us put our faith in Him and in His steadfast love alone. May we be a church of God-fearers. For it is the God-fearers that are delivered from evil. Let's pray. Take a moment and ask the Lord that those things would be true of you. Ask the Lord that you would be amazed by His glory, that you would stand in awe of Him. Think about uh, your life. and When's the last time you were really just frozen by how amazing God is? It is is amazing that He gives His friendship to us. It is amazing that He makes us His children. When's the last time you were just grabbed by His glory? Even as you, even as you, we even do this, even when we open God's Word, we can be so flippant about it. And we sort of breeze through it and keep what we want to keep and cast aside what we want to cast aside. Are you, are you amazed by the glory of God, the weightiness of Him? And then add to that, say, God, I want to recognize that you also, that there's no one like you. Your holiness. You are king of kings. You are God of gods. You are the almighty and there's no one else anywhere else like you. Do you grasp his holiness like that? And then ask God to help your faith be rooted in him. That your hope, your hope would be in his steadfast love. That someone could look at your life and say, that is a God fearer. Why? Because their hope Their trust, their belief, their faith is only in Him. Ask that that would be true of you. Ask that God would would dig, dig even even deeper the roots of your faith. Plant you, still from, from Psalm 40, plant your feet even more firmly on the cornerstone alone. That we would be a people who fear the Lord. That we would be a people who are in awe of God's glory and holiness. And who put their faith in Him alone. That we would be a people who fear the Lord. And that He would use that. That we'd see the utility of that. It 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 is a necessary thing, a wonderful thing, but it is a useful thing. Because Christian... If you fear God like that, not only will you be pleasing to Him, 
That's exactly what you need to do to be delivered from evil. Fear the Lord because of all the blessings that come with it. Because he should, you should, it may just make sense. Because he blesses you if you do, but fear the Lord also. Because that fear will help you be delivered from what the evil one and his evil ones will bring against you. Fear the Lord. Father, I ask that we would fear you today. That above all else, our fear would be in you alone. That we would be amazed by who you are. Not terrified, amazed by who you are, by your glory, your majesty. That you are, you are clothed in holiness because there's no one like you. And that we would then put all of our faith, our belief, our trust, our hope in you and in your steadfast love. Help us today, Father, as we rejoice in that steadfast love, as we celebrate that cornerstone, as we see that our trust in you is not a trust in the figment of our imagination, but that, God, you are a God holy and awesome, doing mighty deeds for your name and for our good. And we celebrate that as we think about our cornerstone. We think about our Christ as we take and eat and drink in him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.